Please pray with me. Father above, we thank you this night for the gift of your Son. And I pray that you would open our hearts to glimpse a small bit of what that means. Lord, draw us to yourself. Amen. Luke does something remarkable by mentioning Caesar Augustus. Hope you all are settled down for a long history lesson. He does something remarkable in mentioning Caesar Augustus. On the surface, it's simple. Jesus' birthday, his birth, is a real moment in history. It's not just a myth. And so Luke tells us when it occurred. It's like if you said it happened during the presidency of Washington. You've located it as a real moment in history, not just some legend. But that's not the profound thing that he's doing. That's just surface. Because underneath, he's communicating something. Something profound. That profound thing that he's communicating is actually hinted at in the name Caesar Augustus itself. It wasn't that man's given name. His name was Gaius Octavius. It wasn't his first name. His name Caesar was inherited from his great-uncle Julius Caesar. It was inherited at Julius Caesar's death, inherited as he was adopted in his will and declared his heir and given his name. But that name itself was already charged because of about 40 years before the birth of Christ, Caesar was declared divine by the Roman Senate. The name was charged already when it landed on Gaius Octavius. The other name, Augustus, was a name that Gaius Octavius was given by the Roman Senate. And the name itself meant sacred. It meant majestic. It meant powerful. In other words, this man carries two names that mean powerful, majestic, sacred, nearly divine. From Rome's perspective, he deserved that name. He had brought peace to the Roman world after centuries of war. And so they called him sacred. He was the most powerful man in the world with armies and governors at his disposal. And so he was called the supreme authority, the leader, the master, the ruler of all things. He was even given the title savior. He was called savior. This is how powerful he was. When he spoke, everyone listened. When he decreed, everyone obeyed. I was joking before, Christmas Eve isn't actually a moment for long sermons about history. You don't need to be afraid. I'll cut to the chase. Luke wants us to remember and to notice Caesar Augustus at this moment at the birth of Jesus. But it's not just for explaining when Jesus was born. He wants us to remember Caesar Augustus because he wants us to see two very different opposing rulers. He's setting something in contrast. Caesar Augustus was called Savior. And yet, what did the angels announce to the shepherds? This one will be the Savior. Caesar Augustus was declared to be the ruler of all, the first of all, the master. 
And yet, what did the angel say of Jesus? This one will be the Lord. Augustus was considered by his world to be the giver of peace. And yet, what did the angel army sing? They sang that peace came now on earth because of the birth of Jesus. Speaking of armies, that angel army singing, Caesar Augustus had at his beck and call armies that covered the face of the earth to do whatever he wished. And yet, what do we see on that night behind in the backdrop? The very armies of heaven sort of moving forward, wanting to break through to earth. Luke is letting us sing, see two very contrasting rulers. We could keep going, but the point I hope is clear. It's not just for the sake of locating this in history that Luke says the name Caesar Augustus. He wants us to see two very different types of rulers. On the one hand, we see Caesar Augustus, the world's version of savior and ruler of all. And on the other hand, we see the son of God, God's version of ruler and savior. It's easy to imagine, actually, as you read this, and this would have been felt by people living in that world, that there's almost got to be a clash coming. We've got two different leaders being set up on the stage in front of us. Something's bound to happen. And yet, as we look at the two, it's actually hard to imagine a greater contrast between these two great rulers. They couldn't be more different. You see one seated on his throne, exuding power over the whole earth. And where is the other? Wrapped in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough in a stable. You see one at the heart of the greatest empire the world has ever seen, in the midst of the imperial city. And where is the other? In a stable, because there's not room for him to be inside you see one issuing orders, commanding people, commanding people to go be registered, be documented, be taxed, moving the people of the earth around like so many pawns. And what's the other? A helpless babe in arms, unable to move unless someone carries him. You see one with governors and soldiers carrying out his will. And the other? His only attendants are animals and farmhands. The contrast is great. Don't be mistaken. Luke isn't setting up this thing to tell us that Caesar is powerful. He can speak, and a poor man in Palestine has to travel miles to be documented. He's not setting this up to tell us that Caesar is powerful and Jesus is weak. The army of angels is present in this scene, after all. They're present all the time. Even now, in ways that we cannot see, his armies are waiting in the wings. The, the, the shepherd saw the veil torn for just a second, a glimpse of what's going on behind the scenes, and they quaked in fear at the armies of heaven, circling and swirling all around them. Luke's not presenting Jesus as weak and Caesar as strong. It isn't that Jesus is weak. All power and authority is his. He commands all things. Those armies only wait in the wings because he tells them, wait, wait. 
It's not that he is weak. All power is his. Augustus is nothing before the supreme Lord, the eternal Son of God, the one with kingdom and authority, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is not weak, but his power, the power that he has, the right that he has to rule and judge all things, the fact that he is creator, does it not make his lowliness not leap off the page? His humility comes screaming out. That's what Luke wants us to see. The true Lord. Caesar's just posturing. The true Lord, the ruler of all, is here in humility. He's willing to enter our history meekly, gently. This is what I want y'all to hear. You're not going to get 45 minutes of history. But don't miss this point. The true Lord the one who truly commands all things, when he arrives, he arrives in humility. He could have commanded all the armies to do as he pleased, but he comes in meekness. It's stunning that God's way of dealing with the brokenness of the world is not Caesar's way. Caesar's way is the way of armies and taxes and policies and power. And God's way of dealing with the brokenness of the world is to come in humility and fragility and meekness. This is stunning. That God's way of dealing with things is to be one with us. It's not to stand off at a distance like Caesar saying, you go there and you do this. But it's to say, I would be close to you. I would be one with you. I would be near to you. I would be like you. Our God works gently and in humility. Sometimes we want a leader who will act more like Caesar, right? Make things happen. Break things, fix things, send people, do what I want you to do. And yet, how does he arrive? In humility, in meekness, to be close to us. He comes to suffer with us. This is how the Lord arose. This is how he came. And the point this evening that I want you to see is that this is how he comes to each and every single one of us. He comes to us not despising our weaknesses. He comes to us not rejecting us in our needs. He comes to us not controlling us and running over us and driving us away the way Caesar might. Instead, he comes in humility, and he comes to be with us, to be near to us. He is gentle. He's humble. He's kind. He's willing even to be helpless for the love of you. Can you imagine that? The God of all authority and power willing to be helpless for the love of you. This is the point that Luke is making in this contrast between these two great leaders. Because the rulers of the world are not willing to be helpless for you or me. But Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, says, for the love of you, I would humble myself. For the love of you, I would become like you in your weakness. 
The thing we need to remember tonight is simple. The incarnation was an act of love. An act of love for those who did not deserve it. An act of love from a God who, it does not make sense. The ruler of all humbling himself to be close to you. And yet the incarnation was an act of love. Love for me and love for you. A God who would humble himself. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? And so as you hear the name Caesar Augustus, as you hear it as the story is read and reread over this season, my hope is that you say, that's not like my Lord. Because my Lord comes close to those in need, humbles himself for those who are hurting. In love, he comes to where we are. If you are a long way off this night, if you are far off from this king, the message for you is not he is one who would run you over, destroy you, despise you, reject you. Instead, the message is he is a king who would come to where you are, with you, like you, near you. Amen.